Again, we're really excited that you could be here with us for Christmas Eve. And I'm really excited for this sermon. Originally, Luke was going to preach, but because of both illness and travel, he was unable to. But I'm very excited to preach this Christmas Eve. It's my first Christmas Eve sermon ever. For a lot of people, Sundays aren't usually in Christmas Eve, right? Um, but don't worry, if you're a visitor, you, you can complain to me afterwards, if you want. Even if you're not a visitor, that's okay. Let's go to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 16. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall ju not judge by what he see, his eyes see or decide dispute by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Parthros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the despairs of Judah. From the four corners of the earth, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the peoples of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead the people across in sandals, and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant and the remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your word that speaks to us this Christmas Eve. We look to you and we trust in you, and we hope in you. Would you help us, and would you strengthen us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, uh, a couple years ago, I started to try to be a gardener. And I say try to be a gardener because gardening is actually quite difficult. I don't know if anybody's told you that, unless you actually know what you're doing. And so I didn't realize how many weeds come up. I didn't realize that if you plant a seed, it takes 
quite a bit of time for something to come out. But I remember I planted some lettuce and nothing else was doing well, mostly because I planted it at the wrong time. But then I remember when the first little shoot of lettuce started to come out and I felt like a kid because I was like, it's just this little thing, but I worked so hard. You have to buy compost, you have to water it, you have to look out for it. There's this thing that you have to put in for snails. It's like a whole process. And this little, little green shoot came out and it grew. And just so you know, loose leaf lettuce is better for this region, not whole, whole head of lettuce because it, it doesn't have enough growing season. But it's, it's amazing to watch things grow I love all things that grow, really. I love animals and trees. I love when you see little kids at church and they grow up. Things grow. Today we're looking in the book of Isaiah. And it begins talking about a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Something small, just a single green shoot that grew. It's a strange passage in some senses to look on Christmas Eve. But the truth is, it's a very appropriate passage. We've been looking at the names of Jesus. At the beginning of Advent, we talked about Genesis 3 and the one who comes, the seed of the woman who will stomp the seed of the serpent. We talked about the Lamb of God in Isaiah. And last week, Brian talked about the son of David in 2 Samuel. But today, we look at the righteous branch, the shoot of the stump of Jesse, a branch that will bear much fruit. This passage in Isaiah, and really all of these chapters in Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 7 to 11, bear these promises for us in Advent. Chapter 7, as David read, begins with the declaration to King Ahaziah that the virgin will bear a child. Chapter 9, which is the traditional Christmas Eve, talks about, for to us a child is born and a son is given, and it declares his wonderful names. But in between those, in chapter 8 and in chapter 10, it talks about something interesting. It talks about judgment. And in chapter 11, it begins by talking about the shoot from the stump of Jesse. This passage today reminds us of the promises of God. Today, we look at chapter 11 to focus on something in particular. Today, we look at Jesus, our King. Using Isaiah 11 to say something that has been said throughout this Advent, but maybe Brian summarized it best last week, we look back and we look forward using the text in Isaiah today as we think about Advent. In Luke, when he's writing about Jesus' arrival, he's declared as a king by angels who suddenly appear to shepherds and proclaim him. He's brought the gifts of a king by magi. He is born in the city of David, Bethlehem. That is where our Lord is born. Jesus is referred usually to our Lord, our King, the Christ. But the question for us this morning is, what does this all mean? What does it mean that Jesus is our King? And why should it matter to us like it mattered to those people in the manger 2,000 years ago? Isaiah 11, out of all places, serves as this picture that helps us understand in greater depth what it means that this King came 2,000 years ago and what it means for us that this king will come again. So we will look at this morning at what it means that Jesus is king, this is the king who is coming and who came. And we'll see that in four points. That's right, I have four points this morning. 
I'm stepping out of the mold. First, Jesus is the anointed king. Second, Jesus is the righteous king. Third, Jesus is the king of peace. And fourth, Jesus is the king of the nations. So let's begin with the first point. Jesus is the anointed king. The whole text begins in, chapter, in verse 1 where it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse, being the father of David, is the stump that is being referred, although it's strange imagery. Why a stump? Last week we looked about at the Davidic line and that, mon that monarchy which will bring forth the anointed one or the Messiah. But here, it's not a tree, it's a stump. Chapter 10 ends with the felling of the trees of both Assyria and Israel, which usually meant, when we look at Old Testament prophecies, that the judgments that will come upon the people. And here you see that same judgment fell upon the Davidic line to the point that it is just a stump. But from this stump comes a single green shoot. It continues speaking plainly because the people in that day were oppressed and harassed. They were having difficulties. And it begins to give them a promise that a single green shoot will come. And what will happen? Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then it continues giving descriptions of the same Spirit, breaking it down in pairs of two. There's a Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of might and of counsel and knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so what is being said here? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. You see that again in Revelation chapter 1 where it talks about the sevenfold spirit. Even in the tabernacle imagery, before the table of presence, there was a lampstand. And the lampstand had seven branches, six on the sides and one in the middle. There's not seven spirits, there is the Holy Spirit. The reason this imagery is important, why seven, is because it talks about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which will rest upon the anointed one who is coming. That's why it says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Again, this is not saying there's seven separate spirits, but the fullness and the completeness of the Holy Spirit. It is also important to note that the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't limited to seven. Rather the fullness of the gifts were upon this shoot from the stump of Jesse. They serve as a way to summarize and describe the fullness. So if verse 2 is clearly talking about the Holy Spirit, and in Revelation it talks about the sevenfold spirit, why does it rest on the shoot from the stump of Jesse? And this is actually very closely related to the way we understand Christ as our prophet, as our priest and as our king. The shoot of Jesse is talking about the person that will come from the Davidic line to save his people. This is a clear picture of Jesus. The following description with the Holy Spirit helps us understand something deeper about Jesus and his mission. Jesus is fully God and fully man. In his humanity, as we see in the Gospels in John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descends upon him after his baptism as a dove. And an audible voice is heard, and it rested upon him. And afterwards, he was thrust into the wilderness. It rested upon him in his humanity to endue him with the proper strength and ability for his work of redemption. Although Jesus was fully God 
in his humanity, he was empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And this is why we call Jesus the Christ. Christ means the anointed one. When we talk about Old Testament anointing, it usually is for a priest or a prophet or a king, an official duty in the service to the people of Israel. Our prophet and our priest and our king was anointed by the Holy Spirit, as it says in John 3, beyond all measure and from his overflow we receive. He came with gifts and ability and authority. Calvin, when writing this, when writing his commentary on this text, writes, Christ came not empty-handed, but well supplied with all gifts that he might enrich us with them. Jesus, as the Christ, as our true prophet, priest, and king, is not anointed with oil, but after his baptism, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. That's what the confession talks about. The promise of Isaiah of the single green shoot which comes from the stump of Jesse is fulfilled as the one who comes with full authority, ability, and power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, by this, has all authority and ability to achieve all his purposes and duties. Jesus is the anointed king, the king of true authority and ability to lead and to guide his people. Christ is our anointed king and enriches all of our labor and ministry after the first advent as we hope and expect the second advent. The Holy Spirit works faith in us by making our hearts alive and strengthens us for the work of ministry and our continual sanctification through the word. Jesus is our anointed king. He is the rightful king. But if he is the king, what kind of king will he be? And that's why we see verses three through five, and I'll read them. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide dispute by what he, his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And this brings us to our second point. Jesus is the king who brings justice and righteousness. We see a transition from the previous, verse 2 to verse 3. It talks about the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and here it begins by saying, the fear of the Lord is his delight. The shoot from the stump of Jesse, the delight is the fear of the Lord. The people of Isaiah's day suffered from poor leadership. Isaiah is writing in the year that King Uzziah died, and there's a certain downturn in the monarchy after that. National leadership fails after this. There is some respite with Hezekiah and Josiah after him. But overall, no king does well or very well. No king brings these promises. Even the best kings made serious mistakes with terrible implications. Part of those consequences, as we talked about, if you read and if you keep reading in Isaiah, is that judgment comes for the people of Israel. Even the imagery that we talked about at the beginning of this chapter and at the end of the previous chapter is of a trees being cut down. And here, all that is left is the stump of Jesse. But from that stump shoots a single green shoot, a righteous branch. The righteous branch will not only be anointed and come bearing gifts, but will also come equipped for a work. And what is that work? It's not a popular statement, but that work is judgment. 
That's why verse 3 continues by saying he will not judge by what his eyes see or his ears hear. He doesn't judge by mere externals. But this righteous and anointed king will come and judge rightly. He's not impressed by what people say or how they look. This king will judge hearts. John chapter 2 reads like this. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Although man may look at the outward appearance, the shoot from the stump of Jesse looks at the heart. Jesus sees all. Because Jesus sees all, he is able to judge fully and totally. We see that as it continues in verse 4 by talking about the poor and the meek and the wicked. The emphasis is not just on charity, and it's not making a comment on economic policy, but on the full justice and righteousness of this king. We see that in several ways. Since this king is able to judge heart, hearts, he judges the poor and the meek. The emphasis is on those who are fully dependent on him for justice. They're fully dependent on this anointed king for justice and are at the mercy of those who would manipulate the system to their advantage. Isaiah, again, is not making a comment on economic policy, but is describing those that are fully dependent on the shoot from the stump of Jesse. The anointed king will not be manipulated, but will judge with equity because he can judge hearts. Then proceeds to talk about the rod of his mouth striking the earth. So some commentators noted that his words are the ones that have impact. This anointed king, by his words, needs not to rely on any other authority, but in himself has authority and ability to judge. So when he, he speaks, the words strike the ground. That's why it's followed when it talks about the wicked. By the breath of his lips, the wicked perish. What is being said? The power of this king is in his words. The words he utters brings true and righteous judgment. A similar picture is given in 2 Thessalonians when it reads, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The picture is culminated because he will be clothed with righteousness and faithfulness. What kind of king will he be? He will be one who brings justice and righteousness, who judges not by appearances, but has true insight. He cares for his people and appropriately judges the wicked because he is faithful and righteous. And we see that in the first advent. When Jesus preached the good news to weary and heavy laden, his words brought respite to those who would receive them and judgment to those that would reject them. He called to the people, and when his words were uttered, it produced an effect. To some, their hearts were hardened, and to others, by the working of the Holy Spirit, faith was produced. Jesus is the king who comes to judge rightly. He is not deceived by mere externals, but he is the righteous judge that makes all things right. So if he is the righteous judge, who makes all, his, all things right. If he is the anointed king, what does his government and rule produce? And that brings us to our third point. Jesus is the king who brings peace. We now continue with our text, some of the most beautiful imagery of the Old Testament. You always see this sometimes 
in like uh, Christian stores, they always have a picture of like a lion laying down next to a lamb. Well, this is where it comes from. But why, why this imagery? The anointed king will come in judgment and the result of this judgment is clear. This king brings true and lasting peace. We are giving several vignettes. The wolf shall lay down with the lamb, the, the leopard with the goat, the calf and the lion, all led by a little child. Why? It needs little explanation that these are pictures of peace, but why here? The reconciliation of supposed natural enemies almost as an overwhelming picture of peace. The natural result of the anointed king coming and judging is not the destruction of the world in a sense. It is the destruction of wickedness. In our world, the lack of peace is apparent from the smallest aspect of life to the largest. Between nations and people groups, and even within families or within ourselves, there is discord and anger and restlessness. The picture of peace that we see here emphasizes several things. One pastor notes that it leads to three clear conclusions. One, it leads to the picture that those with power do not abuse it. Two, it leads to the conclusion that the weak are not victimized. And three, it leads to the conclusion that differences will not necessitate conflict. That's what these pictures show. Such a peace to almost irreconcilable enemies really indicates the shocking peace which this anointed king brings. And if you really can't wrap your mind around how shocking this is, you should see a dog when he sees a squirrel. Natural enemies. Very little rest. But the picture here is shocking. Why? The peace that Jesus brings, as it is described here, is all-encompassing in his kingship. The imagery even goes as far to show that the ultimate enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is overturned. That a little child can sit next to a cobra and a weaned child can reach into the adder's nest. This, this is peace that Jesus brings. That even the ultimate enemy of humanity is subdued by this king. So we, mu we must understand that this imagery suggests peace, not only in an individual sense, but also in a corporate sense. In a corporate sense, as we think about society as a whole, the peace that this king brings depicts the peace between nations and peoples. But it also means that the essential natures of relationships will change in such a way that these irreconcilable enemies will be brought together. No one will be harmed on my holy mountain, the text continues. So what is the result of the government of this true king? Peace, a peace between peoples and groups of peoples, which may be hard for us to understand now, where there seems to be a constant state of turmoil inside of our families and ourselves and between nations, when even in our government, there's fights. But Jesus brings true peace. The process of that peace is interesting. Verse 9 reads, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And then it continues with one of the most beautiful verses of all of Scripture. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The picture or purpose of the picture of the purpose of the pictures is not meant to be it's meant to be clear here. There will neither be hurt nor destroyed on his holy mountain. The work of this king is to bring wholeness. That's what shalom means. 
There's a certain wholeness and peace that's brought within people. There's no more destruction, no more hurt, no more tears. The frustration which has been part of creations since the fall is finally corrected. Why are none hurt or destroyed? Because the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Which is a funny phrase because the water is the sea. It covers all of it. This king does not just bring conquering armies, weapons of war, or artillery, but the knowledge of the Lord. That is the means by which this peace is brought forth. It is the knowledge of the Lord filling the earth. This language of the knowledge of the Lord is apparent throughout Scripture. That's often what the Israelites are rebuked for. For you did not know me. And it helps us understand the sort of peace this king brings. In an individual sense, we talked about corporately, but in an individual sense, this king reconciles his people to God. We see that idea developed in the New Testament, and a great example is in Ephesians when it reads, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses, separated from God and the promises. And in Christ, we are made alive through the knowledge of God. The Gospel of John puts it like this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The implication in Isaiah then becomes that this peace is brought about by reconciliation to God. Peace is not just one amongst people, but one that has been brought with God. Ephesians 2 talks about that. First, it's reconciled to God, and then we're reconciled to each other. We talked about a few weeks ago about the cost of that peace, that the Lamb of God offered himself up as our sacrifice, that we may be reconciled to God, and he satisfies the judgment of God in our stead. That is how righteous this king is. For those that were unworthy, he bore the judgment himself. Justice is still served, and he bore it on the tree. So let us then recap everything that we have said. First, there was, a, there was from the stump of Jesse a shoot which will come forth. This righteous branch would be filled with the Holy Spirit beyond all measure. He is the anointed king who comes bearing gifts, and the king who has all authority and ability for the sake of his people. He comes as the righteous judge. He is the king who judges rightly, not just by what he sees, but a judge who can see hearts. He will be clothed with faithfulness and righteousness to the delight of the meek and to the woe of the wicked. The result of his government and judgment shall be peace. He will bring forth both a corporate peace in creation itself and a peace to individuals brought near to God. He will resolve the central issue of mankind, alienation to God. This promised king came and was born in the town of Jesse, Bethlehem. He comes to bring peace. And that is when the last verses of our text focuses on something interesting. The nations. Jesus is the king of the nations. The last seven verses talk about this, but we're only going to focus on one. Verse 10, when it reads, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people's of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, not just a shoot from the stump of Jesse, but really the root of Jesse, 
the promised seed from Genesis, the true heir of Abraham who comes for his people, the Lamb of God, the Son of David, has come to bring peace to peoples. He will come and not just help the people of Israel, but this righteous branch will be a signal to all people. Nations will inquire of him and long for the rest that he alone can bring. The good news of this king naturally prompts the response of this king. The king is the banner of the nations, the righteous branch, the shoot of the stump of Jesse. The root of Jesse is not just the king of Israel, but he is the king of kings. He has a name above every name, as Philippians 2 talks about. His mission is not just for one people, but for all peoples. And we see that later in the book of Revelation when it reads, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The king is to be proclaimed among the nations, for he is the banner of all peoples. Regardless of race and culture, he is the king of the peoples and the nations. So you're probably wondering, does he have an application? So what? And there are so many applications that we can take. We can take an application from each point. We can talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. We could talk about the impact that the justice of Christ has in the way that we approach justice in our lives and what it means to be citizens of this government whom we are called to honor and pray. We can talk about the ministry of reconciliation of Christ and how in the New Testament that overflows into the lives of believers as we partake of that same ministry because of the one that brought peace. Second Corinthians call that walking with the fragrance of Christ. We can talk about missions and the ministry that we are called to proclaim to the nations. But there is just one application that I want to make this morning. Just one. Jesus our King came and is coming again. That is what this text reminds us. The context of this entire passage is one where people are longing for a king. We too are in a time that we long for our king. What happened in the first advent helps inform our longing for the second advent. There is just one thing to apply, or that I want to apply here. There's not just one thing to apply. But one thing I want to emphasize. Jesus, our king, will come again. Isaiah serves as a picture of the first and of the second advent. Jesus, our king, will come bearing gifts, and until that day, he has given his church the Holy Spirit as a helper. But Jesus is the one who builds his church. Jesus is the righteous judge of the people and the nations. In the first advent, he came and welcomed people to himself, and his words still bear impact, calling sinners to reconciliation and repentance. But to those that will not receive him judgment, And he will come again, and we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will stand before him, and for those in Christ Jesus, not based on our merit or our works, but on that which our king has purchased. And when he returns, he will make all the wrongs right. 
and his people will rejoice because he is faithful and true, whether ills in our society or families. That does not mean we don't mourn injustices, but rather it means that with one hand we strive to be peacemakers, for they are called sons of God, and with the other we long for the justice which only our true king can bring. Jesus will come back and bring peace. We experience that after the first advent as sinners are reconciled to God, but there is still a greater peace to come where our bodies will be restored, where all relationships will be reconciled, when nation will no longer war with nation or brother with brother. Excuse me where all wrongs will be made right. And the frustration that has been part of creation since the fall will be undone. Christ will come and defeat all enemies, even our last enemy, death itself. So what do we proclaim to our neighbors and our coworkers and the nations? That there is a king, one who is faithful and true. Jesus is coming back the king of the nations, the one who with his blood made a payment for his elect from every tongue and tribe and people. One of the reasons we remember the first advent is because it serves as a reminder that there is a second advent. Jesus is coming back and his reward is with him. Revelation 19 puts it like this. And I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped with blood, and his name is the Word of God. And his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, Jesus is our King, and he will return. Let us pray. Lord, we look to you, the true King, the righteous one, who comes, who came and will come again. Lord, help us as we walk throughout our days to fix our eyes on you. As we come to this Christmas, that you are the king. You are the one who sustains your people. You are the one who strengthens and blesses and watches over us. And even as it says in Hebrews, that you stand before the throne of God, making continual intercession for us. We look to you in our weakness and often in our helplessness. In the face of life and hardship and differences and conflict, in the face of our wearying bodies or souls, as we grow tired and sick and angry, we look to you. You are the one who brings peace. You are the one who judges rightly. We fix our eyes on you and you alone, our King who came and is coming again. Thank you for this time. Would you bless us and would you strengthen us? Amen.